listening to the sermon audio from Renaissance Church. We pray that this message equips you to be formed into the image of Christ as you grow in your love of God, and it fuels you to love your neighbor as yourself. We are convinced that while this sermon audio is beneficial, this should only be supplemental and not replace local church involvement. The pastor God has put over your life or your commitment to gather in person with other believers to make more disciples for the fame of Jesus. Peace be with you. Now, the, the passage that we come to this morning are the Beatitudes of Help. Those are verses 7 through 9. Last week, we looked at the Beatitudes of Humility, which are verses 3 through 6. In the Beatitudes of Humility, we are passive sufferers. In the Beatitudes of Help, we are active doers. You think of the Beatitudes of Humility as Jesus reaching down to us and pulling us up from the earth. The Beatitudes of Help as Jesus empowering us to send us back out into the earth to help others. What Jesus will be teaching in verses 7 through 9 here comes from the great requirement in the Old Testament, from the prophet Micah. He says this, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, what will get us as a people of God to not just say that this is a good idea, but actually this is the good life? What will get us to live in ways that are merciful, filled with mercy, and not just self-seeking, and not just with self-righteous motives so that we can be seen by others, but with self-giving and self-sacrificing motives that are pure in heart? What will get us to do this? Not to avoid difficult relationships, but to step towards them and be makers of peace to be agents of reconciliation. What will get us to do this? Well, I think what Jesus will reveal in these Beatitudes of help, verses 7 through 9, is this. That the way that we relate to others is a mirror image of how we think God relates to us. That our horizontal relationships is a mirror image of how we think the vertical, how God treats us. And he's going to work through three movements here. The first is flourishing are the merciful. Second is flourishing are the pure in heart. Third is flourishing are the peacemakers. Can you get anything from the sermon today? It's this. The way you relate to others is a mirror image of the way you think God relates to you. So if your Bible's open, keep them open to Matthew chapter 5, verses 7 through 9, and we will dive in. Y'all ready? Verse 7. Flourishing are the merciful. Jesus says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So like we learned last week, these are not if-then statements. 
If you are merciful, then God will show you mercy. And what Jesus is saying, he's saying you already are blessed because I have shown you mercy. Think about who he is talking to. We can't forget who this is and who he's talking to. Who has come to him on the hill? Those he's already shown mercy towards. Those who he's healed, the outcasts and the marginalized that he has welcomed. Those types of people that nobody else want anything to do with. The dirty, the grimy, the sinners, prostitutes, the Gentiles, the enemies of God. He's saying, you will receive mercy because you already have received mercy from me. Therefore, you already are blessed. Which means blessed cannot be conflated with blessing. It doesn't say blessing for. It says blessed are. Blessed describes who somebody is that then results in how they relate to God and to others. Do you hear the difference? Not blessing for, blessed are. And it comes from this term makarios in Greek. You'll see it up here on the screen. This term makarios, in some of your translations, you'll see it translated as happy. Or most of them is translated blessed. When you look up in a Greek dictionary, it also means thriving and flourishing. This is a state of being of who you are despite your surroundings. Despite if you are mourning, despite if you are in loss, despite if you are hungering or you are persecuted for righteousness' sake. This is who we are. Why? Why will the merciful flourish? It's because they have a promise. Do you see that promise? For they will, not maybe, not might, they will receive mercy. Now, what does it mean to be merciful? What does it mean to show somebody mercy? Well, I think that mercy means is to not give somebody what they deserve. To not give somebody what they deserve, but instead we serve them with no strings attached. But we also forgive them with no conditions. For that's how God has shown us mercy in Christ Jesus. We know that we do not deserve to be forgiven, amen? And yet our Heavenly Father forgives us. That is mercy. We don't get what we deserve. What we deserve is punishment, separation from God. There's a regular event that plays out in the main household, my household, and it's that if you disobey or you sin against somebody in the house, there are consequences. Now, if my older daughter were here, she'd be able to recite to you what mercy is. She would tell you that mercy is not getting what I deserve. But my younger ones, they don't, they don't understand that. So on this one morning, uh, my, my son, Miles, he's three right now. I mean, he was committing every sin imaginable, all sins of omission and commission, and we hadn't even finished eating breakfast yet. And so I bring him into my lap, 
I said, buddy, this is it's a hard morning, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Now, do you deserve to have disciplines this morning? Uh-huh. Would it be right for daddy to show you consequences for your sin? Mm-hmm. Well, listen, this is what daddy's going to do. I'm going to show you mercy. Do you know what mercy is? Uh-uh. And so I pull Lucy over. I say, Lucy, tell him what mercy is. With a big grin on her face and with compassion in her soul, she says, Daddy's not going to give you what you deserve. You're not getting a discipline. And with mercy-filled tears, he hugged me. He ran into my arms. And you know what he showed towards others the rest of that day? Mercy. He showed towards others what they did not deserve. Kindness, compassion, forgiveness, and love. You see, someone who has experienced the mercy of God doles out mercy towards others. How do you know you've experienced mercy? Is when you show it towards others. When you serve others who don't deserve to be served. When you forgive others who don't deserve to be forgiven. That's mercy. There's a well-known parable about a manager and a landlord. Now, this manager managed hundreds of properties for this, this landlord who, who owned all of them. And he was behind a couple tens of thousands of dollars in payments to this landlord. And this landlord was about to throw him in jail for all that he owed unless he paid his debt. And so this manager comes to the landlord and he pleads for forgiveness. And in that moment, the landlord has mercy and pity and compassion on this manager and forgave all of his debt. Now on this manager's way home from the landlord's office, he sees one of his tenants that is behind a week's rent. So he grabs the tenant by the throat, pushes him to the ground, and has him thrown in jail because he's behind on a couple hundred dollars. Now the landlord takes uh, notice of this, and he pulls the manager back in, and he says, you wicked servants, I forgived you thousands. And you couldn't forgive this guy hundreds. Therefore, I'm going to throw you in jail until you can pay the last penny. Now, as many of you hear, this is a modern adaptation on the parable that we read earlier in our service. The parable of the wicked servant. And hear what Jesus has to say to those who refuse to show mercy even though mercy was shown to them. He says this in Matthew 18, that, that's what my Father in heaven will do to you. He'll throw you in jail if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Being merciful is an overflow of receiving mercy. See, don't you see those who think that they deserve mercy or who are entitled to it never show mercy to others. But those who truly know they have a deep need, they are poor in spirit. When they receive that mercy, they give it out to others. 
Merciful quite literally means full of mercy. That we are people who are filled with the mercy of God. He has dispensed it liberally on those who can admit their need. And fullness of mercy is not meant to be hoarded. It's meant to be passed on. Once God has delivered mercy to you, Christian, his expectation is for you to deliver it to others. You see, our culture hates this concept of mercy, except when it's me, myself, and I that needs mercy. That's why you read in the headlines this last week, for those who have been convicted, for them to rot in hell, even though our culture doesn't believe in a literal hell. But those who have received the mercy of Jesus extend compassion, extend forgiveness. See, those in Christ recognize that we are poor in spirit, which means we are sinners. Can you say, I am a sinner? But mercy has compassion with others because we know they are sinners too. We show mercy because he has shown mercy to us first. We show mercy now because we know that's what is awaiting us in the new heavens and new earth. See, mercy is not a condition to receive God's love, but it is a necessary consequence of that love. Because the way that you relate to others reveals how you think God relates to you. Has he been merciful, church? And be merciful to others. This will allow you to flourish in life, not flounder. But second, flourishing are the pure in heart. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This is a clear conscience. That those who know that they will see God face to face when Jesus returns knows that God clearly sees them today. It's doing all of the right things that God asks us to do for all of the right reasons. This is what it means to be pure in heart. This is to have a, there it goes, the God-centered life and, not a, and, and a Christ-centered life, not a self-centered life. You see, you could forgive others on the surface, but inside you really haven't forgiven them. You can extend mercy towards others, but still hold on to bitterness. You can even serve and give to the needy, but you're just doing it to look good in front of others and to make yourself feel good. See, Jesus will say later in chapter 6, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't sound the trumpet before you like those hypocrites do who love to stand on street corners and in the synagogue so they can be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. They got what they wanted. They're getting their praise. 
He says, but not you. When you give to the needy, when you show mercy, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. See, the Father that you will see one day, the God you will see, already sees your motives, already sees your heart. And Jesus, like the psalmist, knew that we can look ritually good, can't we? On some nice shirts. Look religiously good. Raise hands during a service. There's more. There's more required of us to ascend the hill of God. Who can ascend the hill of God to the holy place of God? Look what the psalmist writes in Psalm 24, 4. He who has clean hands, ritually good, and what? Say it out loud. A pure heart. Who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. See, religious leaders at that time were obsessed with ritual cleansing. They're obsessed with looking good on the outside, but Jesus knows what's on the inside. That later in chapter 23, he says, Woe to you, you Pharisees. You are like whitewashed tombs. Look gorgeous on the outside, but inside you're filled with all kinds of impurities and dead bones. Jesus wants the inside because he knows that will fuel and form who we become on the outside. See, what these religious leaders think is what many of us think. So the only thing that people see is the tip of our ice, the iceberg, right? Just the actions of our lives. But God sees the crevices and the cracks that are below the surface. He knows your heart. And think about who Jesus is talking to. They don't look anything good on the outside, do they? These are the broken, the hurting, the helpless, and the hopeless. Their outward reality is an honest representation of their inward reality. Broken, poor, in spirit. And he's letting them know that God is not interested in just your outward looks. He wants inward purity. Because inward purity produces outward purity. Even if somebody looks filthy, poor, and they smell like urine, they can still have purity of heart. They still can have a clear conscience. Martin Luther, who was a theologian and pastor in the 16th century, he writes this. He says, though a common laborer, a shoemaker, or a blacksmith may be dirty and sooty or may smell because he is covered with dirt and pitch, and though he stinks outwardly, inwardly he is pure incense before God. Because he ponders the words of Jesus in his heart and obeys it. In his heart first and then obeys it. Do you see that, that the people who will see God are the ones who know that their whole lives, their actions, their hearts, their motivations, their emotions, their thoughts are out in the open towards God. Do you see that the God you will see face to face one day already sees below the fake face that you might be putting on today. He sees your souls. 
I mean, aren't we tempted to walk around with a mask? Aren't we tempted to be somebody that we are not, depending on the occasion we are in and the people we are around, in order to please them? Aren't we tempted to seem like we're doing all the right things, but for our own selfish reasons? That's not flourishing, that's performing. It's play acting. And this is the essence of deep religious hypocrisy. This is how things like Instagram flourishes. Because you are so busy performing. And most of us, we're like children. Remember back in the day when you thought your parents weren't looking? You thought you can get away with things, and all of a sudden they knew exactly what you were doing. Anyone ever been there? Remember those days? One person in the back. Let me just tell you, it's worse with God. He doesn't just see what you're doing. He knows why you are doing what you are doing. Why do you do what you do? See, when you know this, you will either be terrified and start performing to fix everything in your life, or you'll be deeply comforted. How can we be deeply comforted if God sees everything? It's because we know when we see God, there is not damnation nor condemnation waiting for us. There is mercy waiting for us, just as mercy is waiting for us every single morning when we wake up. This is freeing. It's allowing us to flourish because we are able to say, we are not pure, but Jesus has come to make us pure. We don't have to posture. We don't have to pontificate. We do not have to pretend to be something that we are not. We are poor in spirit, and we can be vulnerable around others and admit our need. And when we admit our need, we are assured that because of Jesus, that he was pure in our place, we will see God one day. This is freeing. When we're able to be open and honest in front of God because we know every, he knows everything about us, we are free to put our, God down, our guard down. We are free to flourish and be vulnerable in front of one another. See, the way that you relate to others is a mere image of how you relate to God. Flourishing are the merciful and the pure in heart, but third point, flourishing are the peacemakers. Now, now typically, when you think about peace, what, what comes to mind? Shout it out. Calm. Some of us think absence of war. Some of us think of avoiding hard conversations. But peace here is the Jewish concept of shalom. Shalom for, for Jesus as a Jewish carpenter, a Jewish man, meant wholeness. It's a complete circle. It's complete harmony. 
What this means is a communal way of being in every direction and every relation. I wonder if you noticed that none of the Beatitudes says, blessed are the one, or blessed are the individual. Blessed are those. This is a community reality that making peace is making community. Making peace is making community. Peacemakers are reconcilers. See, Jesus will later get into this in chapter 5. So part of our peacemaking is to control our anger towards others. Or it's fidelity and faithfulness in your marriage. And even peacemaking is loving, not just those who love you, but loving your enemy. Jesus will tell us that peace, true peacemaking, requires cultivation. And his brother James wrote about this later uh, in his epistle. James says this in James 3, 18. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in what? Peace by those who cultivate peace. He's using gardening analogies. Now, how many of you are getting ready to, to plant your garden this year? Some of you have, have garden pots, raised beds, some of you have enough yard to have a full, full garden. Now, if you know anything about gardening, what you have to do during this time is you have to cultivate the soil. You have to till the soil and weed the soil. Because what will happen if you just throw seeds onto hard, dry soil? They don't take root, and there will be no fruit when it's time to harvest. Sadly, I think this is the way that many of us think about peacemaking. Sadly, this is the way that many of us think through our relationships because you rarely cultivate the ground. You rarely cultivate the surface. And all there is in your relationships are hard surfaces because we refuse to disrupt and disturb the hard soil of our souls. You with me? Many of us think that we're doing the work of peacemaking. But in all reality, it's peacekeeping. It's totally different. It's just a kind way of saying peace faking. Because we refuse to cultivate and disrupt the soil in one another's lives. Parents, you do this. When a child isn't listening to you, or when a child isn't getting along with another child, you put on a show or hand them an iPad. That's peace faking, not peace making. Roommates, when you get frustrated with each other, you either avoid the hard conversation or you move out. That's peace faking, not peace making. Spouses, you do this when you say it's okay after your spouse sinned against you for the 77th time. It's okay is peace faking. Peacemaking says you wronged me and I love you and I forgive you. It's recognizing the wrongs. 
Because when we recognize the wrongs, true reconciliation is happening. But why don't we do this, church? Why don't we seek true peacemaking? It's because we don't believe in real mercy. We rather believe in condemnation and heaping guilt on people. We're avoiding forgiveness. We don't believe in true purity. You see, real mercy says, you have wronged me, but I forgive you. And we don't believe in true purity because true purity says, how have I wronged you? Both require immense sacrifice, does it not? Both require hard conversations. Both require admittance of wrong. Real peacemaking, hear me on this. Real peacemaking is just as self-critical as it is other critical and it is culturally critical. Real peacemaking is just as self-critical as it is other critical. Let me share a story with you. Last week, I was experiencing um, some great frustration and impatience towards one of our elders. And in that moment, it led me to be dismissive of what he was saying. It led me to treat him in a dishonoring way. And so after realizing what I did, I had to call up my brother, my fellow elder Kyle, and say to him, I did not honor you in how I treated you, and I did not honor Jesus in how I treated you. You know what I was not met with? Go to hell. But you know what I was met with? Mercy. He forgave me. He still chose to love me as his brother, even though I wronged him and I sinned against him. But it did not stop there. Because you know what happened next? He said, Rob, as you thought through this and prayed through this, was there any way that I hurt you or sinned against you? That is peacemaking. Peacemaking acknowledges the wrong that has been done to you in showing mercy. But it also acknowledges a purity of heart that asks, is there any way that I wronged you in that interaction? This is what true peacemaking is. It's not just allowing the other person to admit they are wrong, but giving them the freedom to say where you might have wronged them. See, if you want to have true peace, true purity, true mercy extended, we all must take off the masks. We all must live as if God that we are going to see one day already sees all of our actions, all of our words, and all of our motivations behind those actions and words. See, why don't we do this? Why don't we forgive people? Why don't we show mercy? Why don't we admit when we are wrong? It's because we've forgotten. We've forgotten what it took to make us sons of God. We've forgotten what it took for Jesus to make us and to change us from enemies of God to now being friends with God. Because we forget that we worship a God who is holy and pure 
and perfect. And if anyone wants to be in his presence, what do you need to have? Not just clean hands, but what? A pure heart. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord to be in his holy presence? Not me. Not you. It's Jesus. The one who is sitting on top of this hill. See, Jesus came as an agent of peace. Jesus sees you better than you see yourself right now. He wasn't a peace faker or a peacekeeper. He knows what we aren't willing to admit at times, that we were born natural, born enemies of God. That Ephesians 2, when the Apostle Paul says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were all like children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, has made us alive together with Christ. You see, God being rich in mercy sends Christ to be the peace offering. You see, peace in the Bible rarely has anything to do about your feelings for God. It has everything to do with your standing before God. You are either an enemy or you are a child. And Jesus has come to wake us up to the reality that we have been at war with God. And because we are at war with God, it relates to the way that we are at war with others around us. And he's come to this earth to make peace, to be the peace offering. You know what that requires? Sacrifice. He knew that he had to come to be the peacemaker between God and man. Jesus Christ is our peace because he is the only one who is pure in heart. He's the only one who shows mercy and gives out mercy for all the right motivations. He was tempted and tried in every way, but yet he was without sin. You see, the one who was pure in heart and had clean hands could have ascended the hill of God. But he didn't. He ascended a different hill. To the hill of Golgotha. The place of the skulls. The place of dead people. The place of bones. He goes where those who have unclean hands and impure hearts deserve to go. And he goes there to take the punishment for all of our unmerciful ways, for all of our unforgiving ways, for all of our peace-avoiding and war-making attitudes. And he bears it on himself on the cross. He bears the wrath of God so he can have the punishment from God and you and I can have peace with God. Do you see what it takes for you to be changed from an enemy of God to being a son and daughter of the living God? Great sacrifice, great mercy, and on that cross, Jesus got what we deserved so that we don't get what we deserve. Separation from God. Oh, what mercy. What mercy. And what do we have to do for this? What do we have to do to become sons and daughters of God? It's to lay down our performing. It's not because of what we do or because of what we don't do. It's all because of what Jesus has done in his life, death, and resurrection. And now those who put their faith in Jesus are now called to be ministers of reconciliation because now God makes his appeal through us to show mercy to the rest of the world. You see, God 
helps those who cannot help themselves, verses 3 through 6. But he also helps those who seek to help others. But he never helps those who think that they can help themselves. That is an ungodly and demonic saying. See, God helps those who cannot help themselves with the Beatitudes of humility. And God helping those who seek to help others is an act of God's mercy and justice towards our neighbors. He picks us up from the ground that we cannot pick ourselves up from and now sends us out to pick up others with the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we'll be proclaiming the gospel and demonstrating this gospel of Jesus Christ. And so now, in light of this great mercy, we are now called to be a people who show mercy towards those who do not deserve it. Because aren't we those people who don't deserve it and received it from God? Let us be a people who now are pure in heart. We don't go around pretending that we have all the right answers, that we do everything for all the right reasons, but we say, no, God has taken out our heart of stone of impurity and replaced it with a pure heart, and he is making me new. He's making me pure over and again. And let us be a people who aren't avoiders of making peace, but let's make peace as we make a true community that is filled with mercy, love, and acceptance here at Renaissance Church. And let us not just do it with others. Let's even do it with our enemies. For that's who we once were apart from Christ. The way you relate to others is a mere image of how you think God relates to you. Has he been merciful, church? Be merciful. Will you one day see him? Yes. Go living like he sees everything about you. And has he made peace with you? Mm, it's a great sacrifice. Let's go and make peace with others, even though it might mean the sacrifice of our lives. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for how he has made peace between natural born enemies and a holy and righteous God.